Hello everyone, this is Saqib and uh, we are talking at uh, the Cricket with an Accent podcast almost uh, after a month and uh, we were taking kind of a sabbatical but there has been a lot of noise, uh, not for the right reasons. Uh, as we all know, it's almost a week old news where Cricket Australia found its you know player uh, committing the act of, you know, which is uh, cheating basically all over the world, it has been perceived as and uh, it's kind of water under the bridge but still we are all living with the aftermath. And Sanket Singhal from Goa and Sharon, who's back in the U.S., is in uh, Braintree, Massachusetts, have taken time out on a busy, you know, Sunday uh, to talk through this, uh, uh, yeah, this ball tampering saga. Welcome, guys. Yeah, great to be back after a long time. Yeah. Thanks so much, Sakeb. Yeah, we like Sanket, last time we spoke, we were thinking of doing something on IPL because, you know, you were excited about uh, this year's IPL uh, for a change. But this unfortunate thing happened in a in a great series that was evenly poised. So let me uh, ask Sankit, uh, what was your reaction as an Australian fan? I know it's like a week old thing now. Uh, when this thing happened, were you believing what what you were seeing? And uh, and then uh, how normal was it uh, to come it through like the guys of Smith and uh, Warner and some of your Australian heroes? Yeah, I mean, I think when I heard it very, uh, very first time, I think it didn't look very good because I think sandpaper, uh, what was the the instrument that was used to tamper with the ball, that is not something that you generally see on the field of play. I mean, there have been instances where people have used uh, mint, mint or chewing gums and all other all other kind of stuff, uh, which I mean, which is generally even though it is illegal as per the law, but I mean, they're sort of tacitly accepted means of tampering. But I mean, using a sandpaper that that kind of came across as a very deliberate planned strategy and I think that is why this matter kind of uh, escalated in the media and then the press conference by Steve Smith basically admitting everything I think that kind of came across as a big shock to me because uh, I mean uh, I I didn't certainly didn't expect this kind of an admission and uh, yeah it it certainly took me aback I guess Uh, but uh, yeah I mean really don't know what to say I think the punishments however a little bit harsh yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the punishment a little later. But uh, let me ask you one more thing, Sanket, because Akash Chopra, you know, he's been doing these, you know, video uh, logs on his uh, Twitter account, and he made a very good point when I was following uh, the post punishment, you know, commentary. He said, you know, like uh, one thing about Layman. Now Layman's already know, you know, he resigned after the Smith, uh, you know, press conference. But he said it's it's hard to believe that few people are guilty of doing it, and the ballers who they were doing the tampering for were not included in this or were uh, pretty much escaped the wrath. So what's your take on that, the involvement? You think Cricket Australia or uh, the powers to be uh, shielded some of their players and just, of course, Smith is a golden boy, but at the same time, they made an example out of him and Warner. But did they cover for the entire team or there were more guys who could have been involved? Because it's pretty hard to believe that only three fielders were involved. Uh, it is, I guess. I mean, if you look at all the general ball tampering incidents, bowlers are generally aware of it, even though it, uh, very rarely are the bowlers are actually involved in the tampering. It's generally one of the batsmen who are assigned the task of shining the ball and they are generally the ones who uh, are often found tampering. Uh, I mean, it is generally a part of the team strategy, I guess. So, bowlers should be aware of uh, the uh, methods that are being used by the team to, uh, you know, get the ball to us and all. But, I mean, I think the Jared Kimber also made a very fair point uh, in his article on Cricket for that. I mean, the bowlers could be aware that uh, the team is working on them to, uh, is working on getting reverse swing without knowing the exact instrument or whether uh, knowing the exact methods that are being employed to do so. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, the report is, uh, coming out of the Cricket Australia board suggests that 
uh, only three players were aware of this and uh, even even the coach Darren Lehman was given the clean shit uh, by the investigation report and uh, i think i find it a little bit conflicting because i mean Steve Smith and David Warner are definitely by far the two most valuable cricketers in Australia so i mean if they are not willing to shield or protect them and if and if they are if they've given coach the clincher then i'm inclined to believe that their report might be true because i mean if they had to make a scapegoat then they could have perhaps used the coach as a scapegoat or maybe some of the lesser lesser known cricketers uh, but i mean having thrown their two best players under the bus uh, i'm not too sure whether others are uh, really involved or i mean but then again i think david warner's press conference the other day uh, that, that 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 i think just opened up a new can of worms he didn't take full responsibility for his actions unlike cameron bancroft or steve smith i think he just uh, i think it's very ambiguous in his speech and i mean when he was asked whether other players had been involved or not he, he didn't categorically deny it he, he just said it that it is not the appropriate place and time to comment on it which means that i mean he might well be insinuating that other people might well be involved so i guess it will be interesting to see how it plays out for, from here uh, but i'm really not too sure about this i mean yeah we'll find out in due course of time that's an interesting point i mean a lot of people are saying what you just said that there is probably more to come so sharan uh, what is your take on uh, you know the uh, p- people who are found guilty and you think few got away or uh, what's your overall take uh, in a short summary of you know what sanket just did i think the biggest takeaway for me was uh, the fact that there was a culture in the team that allowed such acts to be committed in the first place that made it okay for people to kind of use sandpaper when they were desperate to win and that i think if there was a culture that kind of uh, made honesty and integrity and playing fair the main feature of the way you play cricket i, I don't think we may, we would have seen something like this uh, i think here I, i would like to go back to sanjay manjrekar's autobiography where he talks about how imran khan kind of took a bunch of essentially uh, you know childish uh, roguish uh, players individualistic players and fashioned a team out of them i think a lot of the culture is a function of uh, the captain back there and the coach also now the coach has a very important role to play and i think that's something that we should always think of because i think that you know bankrupt would commit the act uh, smith uh, i mean smith is a big uh, part of the team but as matter one could commission the act but there could be other people who uh, were, you know who may have known something going on and they would not have said anything because there was no uh, i don't know rahul dravid kind of figure who who look at it and who would say you know what is going on here like they're not supposed to do this so i think the what i took away from all this was that there was a larger point about the culture of the australian team that uh, was worrying and that affected in the way they sledged that affected in the way they carried themselves some some other times i thought the video with warner and decock was pretty ugly um and i think that's what worried me the most uh but yeah it's a real pity that you know things turned out the way they did and uh, i really don't know if this is the first time they're doing it but i'm inclined to believe smith when he says it despite the fact that he's lied a couple of times before but uh, the culture is what worries me the most but i mean is it is it really the culture because ball tampering is something that generally happens i mean that is very common place i think south africa themselves have been found guilty of ball tampering three times over the last five years and and two of those inclu- occasions include their current captain faf duplessy and none of their players copped even a single test ban or not they won't even find 100% of their match fees i believe except on the last instance in australia so i mean i think ball tampering is something that generally goes on uh, i mean quite regularly it's, it's just that it is not really and uh, generally come into focus all the time because you know the broadcasters and all 
perhaps are, are not quite as vigilant as the uh, super so, super sport broadcasters were on this occasion and perhaps the manner in which uh, they recorded the whole thing wherein Darren Lehman was talking on the walkie talkie with uh, uh, Peter Hanscom then of 12th man and two, uh, and Peter Hanscom then coming on the field and trying to convey some sort of a message to Captain Bancroft that looked like our pact and that perhaps kind of made it look worse than an actual normal act of tampering because I mean tampering is something that everyone does but trying to hide it uh, later on and then perhaps lying in the uh, press conference and all uh, that kind of exacerbated matters uh, isn't it I actually completely agree Sanket in fact I think you're right that there have been instances before of cricketers including Faf Stuplessy trying to tamper with the ball in in similar ways maybe not as explicitly though the minty sting kind of comes close but I think the way the things happened immediately after with the with the walkie talkie uh, and the call to uh, to Hanscom and then the press conference where Smith seemed to suggest that well you know uh, it was some adhesive tip that they had in their kit I think Bancroft said that and Smith agreed with it uh, and then they kind of decided and Smith was very confident he said no I feel really bad but you know I'll continue as captain and I think he did really get the gravity of what had happened I think if if there was yeah once you're caught I think you kind of then have to come clean and you have to kind of be slightly more remorseful. Uh, but that being said, uh, I don't know if if I can remember another instance where the 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 fixing. I mean, in the last twenty years, where the where the tampering was so explicit that you could actually see the material be used, and then you could see them waving a black cloth afterwards to the umpire, trying to say that this is what we were using. I feel like the whole thing, the way it was set up, it reflected more than just the 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 desperation. But you're right that maybe uh, I am uh, maybe in my earlier comment I was overemphasizing. The act tampering itself, but I may, I, but what I meant to say was everything else that happened around it kind of made it look even worse. So uh, let's talk about now the guilty parties involved here. Smith yeah. uh, and Sharon made a good point. Like in the first press conference, you know, the comments again. Maybe he was still uh, living with the consequences of what had happened. That he said he wouldn't step down and he would still like to keep the captaincy as he's still best suited for the job. And now when he went to Australia, we also the emotional breakdown. And you know, when he had come full terms, he took responsibility. And he's getting a lot of, uh, you know, good support from his fans all over the world for uh, stepping up and ex- actually accepting the blame. So what does this do to Smith's legacy, Sharon, in, in your terms? Was he the best batsman in test cricket, which I think me and Sanket have said he was clearly the best test batsman in the world. And if you're on the same page, what does it do to his legacy and, uh, you know, how does it impact his, uh, you know, current future, uh, which could be at least another year before we see him in play uh, on field? I think that uh, Smith is definitely, I mean, until the test match that he last played, he was the best test batsman in the world. In my mind, there was no doubt about that fact. He, he played well in South Africa, he played well in, in Asia, he played well in Australia, of course. So he kind of proved his credentials and he was much more than anyone else. And his average was a good 10 points or 7-8 points above Virat Kohli. And, uh, you know, so I definitely think he was he is the world's greatest test batsman at this point. But I think then... What happens to his legacy? That's a very interesting question. I think we should go back to something like a Shane Warne when he was banned for a year for taking the diuretic. And then he came back and he didn't do too bad. Uh, in fact, he did pretty well in the few years that he played, even after being banned during the 2003 World Cup and after. Came back better than Pardon? Yeah, I think he came back better than ever. He took 27 wickets in three in the three in in the first very first series in the three tests that he played in Lanka after that ban. And he, he hadn't even played a first-class match. So, yeah, I mean... Let's see what happens. Exactly. And uh, yeah, and I, I, I am inclined to believe that Smith is a great enough batsman that he will not let 
his game set by too much. And I think he's still walking to any Australian side 12 months from now. That's my belief. That being said, uh, really, you know, a bit a year is a year. And Smith may have gone on to break many records uh, for Australia, at least within Australian cricket. And maybe some of those, because you're going to lose out on, say, 10, 15 test matches. Uh, and then maybe a couple of matches later on to come perform and everything. You are losing uh, about 10%, 15% of your total test match output. Uh, and that will, of course, affect your role on numbers. But there's no doubt in my mind. At least I'm being very optimistic here. But I really think that it was great enough uh, to kind of live beyond this, is my view. All right. So my two cents before I put Sanket on the block is, I think Australia, as we all know, you know, this is a country you know, where Bradman comes in and along with England, these guys hold the test cricket onto the highest of standards. And their prime minister getting involved in a lot of commentary. And uh, we all believe, in a way, the one-year punishment is a little harsh. But I'm kind of uh, siding, or actually Ian Chappell's comments are something that, that have stayed with me since this thing uh, transpired while I was in Miami. And he said the hardest thing, regardless of the punishment, would be to live through this experience day by day till there is some level of forgiveness or he starts playing cricket again because a label of a cheat is pretty huge. And, uh, you know, this is different than Vaughan who was singled out, I guess, like you pointed out, it was an individual act. This is a collaborative act under his watch. So maybe that's why the reaction is huge because it's Australia at stake. Uh, and Sanket can probably speak more to it, why there is like, or at least, you know, his anguish on the one-year ban because nobody is questioning that the attempt was not there to cheat and, you know, this is still fall under the cheating. But uh, Sanket, you want to take it away from here? Like, why you think they impose such a heavy punishment? Is it just to set an example that you cannot mess with the nation's pride or this has more business implications because they, wanna, they don't want to probably lose some sponsors? Uh, what is what are they trying to resurrect here by imposing such a heavy ban on one of their best players? I think it's I think it's a combination of all factors really because I think the Austra- Australian team's behavior, especially under Darren Lehman, I think that has sort of you know uh, uh, hasn't been all that great uh, in recent years. I think especially under Michael Clark in that Ashes series and all, they were particularly aggressive. I think that I think they had calmed down a little bit under Smith, but there have been instances where things have gotten uh, a little bit ugly. So I mean. Uh, the uh, the image of the team uh, isn't really uh, uh, great right now in, in the eyes of the Australian public, and obviously they, they were on the verge of losing some sponsors because the sponsors felt that the uh, public wouldn't accept uh, the, the the players were being branded as cheats, uh, captaining their side or, or playing for them. So I guess the the main reason for this twelve month ban is that the home summer is still. Six six months away, so I think they had to you know extend that ban to to the home season because uh, that is when the sponsors come into come into the picture and uh, the broadcasters as well because the the uh, the broadcast deal with Channel Nine that has been broadcasting cricket in Australia for the last forty years, perhaps more than that, has expired and they're looking for a new broadcaster. And recently, I think a couple of days ago, Channel Nine. Uh, signed a new deal with uh, new deal for tennis in Australia, so I think they'll probably have to look for a new broadcaster for cricket. So there are obviously business implications regarding regarding this decision. I think the latest news coming out of Cricket Australia today is that they are planning to perhaps even ban ban sledging at all levels, uh, including the domestic game, which kind of comes across as a very extreme step considering the history of Australian cricket. That is. You know, I mean, Australian cricket has always been renowned for its sledging. I mean, it's not. I'm not saying that it is something to be proud of, but that is, to me, to react to one such inc- incident of ball tampering uh, in such a manner and you know, 
completely changing the image of the team and i think that comes across as a little bit surprising i'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing but it's clear that the australia uh, the australian cricket board that is the cricket australia are clearly shaken up by this i think the gravity of the public reaction is something that even steve smith didn't uh, perhaps uh, realize when he made that press conference where he said that he he wants to retain the captaincy and all and then next day you had the australian prime minister coming on board and uh, calling for all the players involved to be sacked and then there was a uh, email uh, email from the australian sports commissioner um, to the cricket australia uh, likewise so i mean i think they didn't perhaps quite uh, realize the po- political consequences and the financial consequences that it could have on the board and obviously public outrage especially in the modern day social media era is perhaps more exaggerated than in the past whereas uh, i mean if you're going thinking back about the one incident i don't think this was in any way a bigger offense than one did i think doping for me is a much bigger offense and much more severe uh, than ball tampering because ball tampering is something that happens regularly so so i think so i think this is totally agree doping doping is you know the highest order of cheating but doping is individual act i think here i think the point where i think everybody got on the case is it's a collective act with the with the leadership at stake and that's why even you were saying that lemon had to be involved so let me ask you another thing sanket since you are closer to australian cricket than you know both me and sharan combined there was an article by mickey arthur who was follow, who was a former coach of australia and he blamed it on a culture he thought like this is like a blowout that had to happen because there was a sense of entitlement and a lot of power with the players and the structure oh, so lot went away and especially yeah, uh, lot went on actually and uh, they said especially after the ponting years when the team started losing little bit this this standard was also coming up as like a very yeah. uh, non appealing standard to even a lot of australian fans because enough was enough so do you see a connection that something has gone too far i mean i know you are an australian fan and but you are you know Uh, you are pretty objective in your uh, cricket analysis no i think uh, mickey arthur has obviously coached the australian side for a couple of years i think he was appointed after the 2010-11 ashes that was after the argus review when he was i think the first non australian to coach the side he was brought in to bring about a change culture and all and i think he, i think he made some fair points i think he said that uh, he 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 had made his attempts to change the culture and he also admitted that there were certain things such as the homework gate incident where he he perhaps regrets what he did and there are things that if if given another chance he might have done differently in hindsight so yeah i mean just looking at what he said about that overall culture and the entitlement of the australian side i think i think a lot of it is true because uh, australian cricket has been uh, one of the worst behaved sides on the field for i think probably the eternity of the sport i guess and uh, especially thing over the last maybe 4 50 years uh, since the ian chapel era i think they've been particularly more aggravating and i think uh, even i think steve wo uh, i think who made some rather sanctimonious comments about the side, you know kind of teams behavior not quite being up to, up to the mark uh, recently i think i think it perhaps just is forgotten what used to go on under his leadership i guess i think osman samir then wrote a very good article on, on that tough uh, so yeah i mean going back to mickey arthur i think uh, i think he talked about the entitlement culture of the australian team and i think that that i think somewhat reflected in the post match press conference that steve smith uh, gave because i think he, he, he even he was accepting his mistake and he is regretting what he had done he, he insisted on remaining as the australian captain he's insisted that he was the right man for the job and he, that he was a man who would pull this team out of mess i think he perhaps didn't quite uh realize the gravity of, of his mistake and the extent to which it has caused um hurt and 
you know disharmony among the australian public and the cricketing fraternity in general and you had the prime minister of australia coming out the next day and you know outraging about what has happened in the australian sports commission commissioner writing to the cricket australia board as well so yeah, i think there was some some element of entitlement in that and i mean however i don't think that the ball tampering offense i mean in if you talk about tampering in isolation i don't think it is quite as big an offense as uh, is perhaps being made out to be in the social media era, as i've already touched upon because i think everything does tend to get exaggerated so i think ball tampering is something i'm pretty sure has been happening with all the teams even those who don't have the cultural deficiencies or the cultural issues and that uh, mickey arthur talked about with respect to the australian side i think ball tampering happens everywhere still, I, but i think he's right about the entitlement the manner in which they reacted in the aftermath and i think the cricket australia board the manner in which they have reacted uh, or should i overreacted by uh, you know banning these players for such a long periods of time i think i think it just comes across as perhaps a bit of a, um, i think desperation more try to repair the image of the team I think actually I want to add to Sanket's point about the the aftermath, especially where he said that social media actually amplified the uh, the reactions of the people. Uh, Sakib, actually, you had done a podcast with a Australian gentleman who uh, had mentioned that cricket actually wasn't amongst the most popular sport in Australia in the last decade, and while BBL kind of uh, improved its popularity, Test cricket definitely was not uh, among the most popular sports, especially amongst youth in the country. So I think that. I think the, the fact that these people were tampering and then the reactions I saw Ian Chappell write about how the Maggie Green is an important thing and how uh, people respect the whole of the cricketers to a very high level, etc. I think all that is true to some extent, but I also definitely think that I don't think Smith saw this coming either. I don't think Smith realized what he had gotten himself into. Uh, and I definitely think that in the modern world, outrage is very easy. And I think the social media outrage was so disproportionate to the level of the crime that it necessitated a certain degree of sanction from Cricket Australia. But overall, I think it's a product of the times we live in. I don't think, uh, uh, you know, cricket is so hallowed or the cricketers are so hallowed in Australia, as these commentators are suggesting, uh, that these acts uh, kind of provoke this this degree of shock and awe. Uh, no, I, I agree, Karen. Great points on social media because social media, you know, tend to, you know, over-amplify any situation because, you know, that's the beauty of the medium. And also the biggest drawback because there are so many voices, so much noise pollution, and uh, you are 100% right. But uh, Sanket did make a good point, and I think you are adding on to it. Is like Smith coming on and uh, seeming a little bit non-apologetic. Maybe this is something that's a norm in the sport, like Sanket is saying. Maybe a lot of people are doing it, and he probably thought it's going to be you know some match fee, like what happened to Mike Mike Atherton, and maybe maybe a suspension of maximum two games, right? Or, or five to play C or. Exactly, or, or Tendulkar test match and Rahul Dravid got 50% of his uh, match fee. So these are all like fairly recent events going back to 15, 16 years. So he probably didn't know like what he's got himself into till he got back home and probably saw the Australian Prime Minister speaking about it and, uh, you know, one thing to another. Uh, so let me ask you one thing, Sharan, if this was handled, uh, if this situation arose for any other board, how would do you think any other board would have reacted the same way? I mean, I know it's very hypothetical, but you know, just because you follow so much cricket, do you want to weigh in on something like that? So let me explain what I think would have happened if India had been. If you'd seen a couple of Indian players do this, uh, I think that uh, the board would have actually uh, knocked it down to support them in some way or the other. A, they would not have. I, I do not. Even though they may have been outraged, and people would have shouted and everything. Uh, I don't see a bad for year coming 
uh, coming on to two players who were caught doing some kind of match fixing. Even if it was, I don't even think the captain would have addressed the media in this way. Uh, he may have gone and said, "Well, we never did it." Or you know, it was some tape. It was not this one. They may have even thrown Cameron Bancroft under the bus and said it was all his doing. I just don't see this kind of reaction happening in India, at least. And it's actually remarkable uh, what followed in Australia. And it, I, I my respect for uh, the Australian public in Australia has gone up, despite me uh, also feeling that some of it was just uh, media and stuff. I think with the same level of social media, India would have seen it. Uh, Transpire very play out very differently, and that's my reading of the situation. Okay, so since you're talking about India, so Sharon, let me ask you one one more thing. I, I know you're a very level-headed guy, and probably doesn't rep, you don't represent like some of the animosity between various fan bases. But uh, again, and a lot of people will get mad at me, but I'll still have to throw this in. Uh, do you see any connection with the India Australia series of you know last year when the Brain Trade Act? Uh, do you think this adds up to Steve Smith's resume, or we should not even mention the two in the same breath? That's actually a very uh, hard question to answer. My mind went back straight to the brain fade where this happened, especially after the press conference. I, you know, the brain fade was the first thing that came to my head, especially the way it played out and the accusation by the other Indian players that this had happened before, and they were very vigilant and they had been watching Steve to see if the legs will happen again. By yeah, by Virat Kohli. Uh, but that being said, my honest feeling still is that brain fade was not a planned move by Steve Smith. I just think it, the heat of the moment he did it. I did not see it as a systematic proclivity to cheat on his part. At least when that happened, in this case, I think it's uh, very different. But uh, you know, it's unclear to be maybe the, ball, the, ball, the line in case of ball tampering is much fuzzier, and they kind of didn't just headbutt it; they just jumped over it. But uh, but but I don't know. I still don't think he's a cheat. I still like Steve Smith as a person, and I think that uh, it's a shame that things have come to what it has. Uh, but I don't want to put the blame square, squarely on him completely, at least. So, Sanke, same thing to you. Uh, uh, do you, I know, as a diehard Australian supporter, do you see the connect? Uh, you know, if you're talking about Steve Smith, you know, resume, where you know they're like iffy on-field behavior. So, do you see the connect in the two? Since we've already gone, you know, in that direction now. I, I don't think. Uh, I mean, cricketing resume and your integrity has anything, uh, or, sh- or should be. Uh, ever ever be talked about in the same breath because I mean you look back at some of the greatest cricketers the sport has seen and I mean quite a few of them have been controversial in their own way over a period of time I mean just look uh, you just go look back at Shane Vaughan and even some like Ricky Ponting is, uh, the Australian team has had incidences like this 2008 Sydney test the monkey gate incident where they claimed quite a few bump catches and Michael Clark refused to walk after hitting the cover of the ball to the slips and all so I think there have been instances you go back to Wasim Akram Bakari Yunus I think Shane Warren and Mark Waugh refu- accepting money from a bookie to supply pigeon weather information in one of the matches in Pakistan, I believe, in 1998. And they were not banned for it. So I think I think these offences, I think they just kind of get exaggerated in the modern day era. I think it's a lot more professional. With, there is greater media scrutiny. There's greater social media pressure and all. So I think, uh, obviously... No, but the brain fade, do you see any connection with the brain fade? Like, this, this is this a graph? No, I think, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I was referring to your point about the uh, integrity. So, I think regarding the brain fade, I think uh, the brain fade was, for me, I think that was one-off. I think I agreed with what Charan said, that, um, I mean, these are things that can happen in the heat of the moment, uh, uh, because the series was hanging in the balance, 
and Steve Smith's wicket was absolutely pivotal to the team's cause because they had already lost three wickets in the previous wicket. Sean Marsh had been given out LBW wrongly by the fire, and that was a decision that could have perhaps been reversed had had they opted for the DRS. So I think that perhaps played on the back of his mind as well. I, I don't know. I mean, this this is just my assumption. Maybe I could be wrong, but I don't think that was a deliberate plan. With regards to this, I think this is completely different. Obviously, this was a plan, whether it was planned by Steve Smith or uh, or maybe, I mean, the reports are that it was David Warner who was the mastermind behind the plan and Steve Smith uh, couldn't quite control him and he wasn't really, even though he was aware of the plan, he wasn't uh, aware of how exactly it would be carried out and he had expressed his displeasure initially, but he couldn't quite make the needed attempts to stop David Warner, Cameron Bancroft from carrying it out. So whether it is a deliberate attempt to cheat or maybe just a fail, failure of leadership on his part, uh, I'm not too sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, as a captain, he obviously has to bear the consequences. But I hope that his career as a batsman should not be looked at due to these incidences. I think everyone has had their fair share of moments. I mean, every great cricketer has had their fair share of you know, indiscretions. Uh, yeah. Sure. So let me ask uh, one more question to you guys. Sanket, you can go. Sorry, uh, Sharon, you can go first. IPL also, you know, let let go of these guys. You know, the respective franchises. You know, so you think is that uh, is that a new precedent that happened, or is that the right move to you know deprive them of the IPL in the current you know in the current scenario? Or uh, I don't even know if, if if this is the first because you know ball tampering, you know, sanctions don't get slapped that often. So, what do you think, Sharon? Of, uh... I think actually, Ian Chappell made a very good point regarding this. He said that in some ways, the BCCI was protecting Smith and Warner from the Indian crowds who would have booed them incessantly or treated them badly or it would just have not looked good for them because it was so close to the incident. That being said, you never know the Indian crowds and I feel like someone like Warner was so integral to the success of Hyderabad as a, as a franchise that, uh, you know, the average Sunrisers fan would have loved to have him play despite knowing uh, what had, what had transpired in the test series uh, a month ago uh, but um, well the bcci took the stand that they did and i think i don't have anything against them for doing it given that they face such harsh sanctions from the from cricket australia uh, and i have no doubts against them for doing so in, and I tend to agree to a, to a small extent, not completely, with Chapel's view that perhaps they were doing these two a favor by saying, stay away from the game for a little bit, take time to think about what's happened. You don't have to come rushing back and then play this tournament, high pressure and everything. So maybe it'll work. It's, it's not just a bad thing at all for these players. So before we conclude this episode, uh, Sanket, uh, what's next for Cricket Australia? They have a new captain. It's an interim role. Uh, maybe this is a guy who will you know, be the next captain because a lot of time these accidental moves turn out to be permanent jobs. So, what is in store for Australia? Where do they go from here in the short term? Yeah, Tim Payne has obviously been appointed as the captain of the test side. And, uh, I mean, uh, he's, he's, he's not a long-term option because he, he's 33. And, I mean, he's, he's quite injury-prone. I think even today he suffered, uh, I think it was yesterday, he suffered a, a, a bruising blow on his thumb. And it's, I think he's apparently been diagnosed with a stress factor in his thumb. I don't know how long he will be out for, whether they will be available for the next test or not. So I think that could perhaps play a, a role as well. Uh, uh, and there is an ODI series against England in a couple of months, so it will be interesting to see what they do with limited overs leadership. Obviously, with Darren Lehman going out of the, of the coaching job as well, there will be a new coach. So I think that Justin Langer and Ricky Pudding, these are the two names who seem to be at the forefront um, um, when it comes to the next coaching job. So I, guess, I think the coach will play mm-hmm. a huge role because I don't think there is a standout captaincy candidate uh, in the side round right now because there are, the team is constantly changing. Smith and Warner are pretty much the only constants as far as the batting department is concerned. Obviously, you don't want fast bowlers to be captain. So, I think regarding the bat- batting side, I think Australia have been quite unsettled for quite some time. So, I think the captain, I think the coach more than the captain is going to play an even bigger role in you know, rebuilding the side. Perhaps the captain's choice. 
so yeah especially in limited overs cricket i think in test cricket i expect him pain to carry on for maybe a year or two i don't think he'll be doing a lot more than that because he's as i said he's 33 so he's not going to be around for too much longer but yeah i mean let's see what uh, what they do from here so yeah there's plenty to look forward to how things unfold in australia thank you again both of uh, for both of you to to be able to do this on such a short notice and uh, yeah uh, we'll talk more in the coming weeks and uh, there'll be more cricket i think coming soon uh, in the summer so Yeah keep listening everyone and thanks for the support for cricket with an accent bye